Let's just welcome Dave and Jill up then. Oh, Jill's coming up first. I want to start by, if you put the, the, the map up, Justin, I want to start by showing you a few photos of where we've been. Um, it's been an awesome privilege to be able to go to the Middle East. Uh, as some of you know, I was born in Egypt and I was born again. I became a Christian living in Iran. And so God has put something in my DNA that's been there a very long time. And sometimes you have to wait a very long time for the dreams that God's put in your heart to become reality. Um, Susie said last week she thought we were amazing starting on a new adventure at our age. Actually, it's when you get to our age that you are free of so many of the responsibilities of, uh, that, that you have loved and got involved in and given yourself totally to. And then suddenly you find, actually, I've got this space. I can move on. I can do something different. And I just want to encourage you. The dreams God's put in your heart, hold on to them. They will come to fulfillment. So here is a map to show you where Oman is. It's on the edge of the Gulf. It faces into the Indian Ocean, Arabian Sea, as it says there. It has Iran to the north, Pakistan to the northeast, Saudi Arabia to the west, and Yemen to the south. A bit of a hot spot at the moment, as you all know. I'm going to show you some photos which start in Muscat, um, the capital city, which is very beautiful, and then move on out into the country. Uh, again, incredible scenery, and finally end up with the people in the church. So this was our view. That was our view from the apartment. This is the beach. This is the sunset we could see from our little balcony the view over Muscat Bay, which is so beautiful. I just love that picture. It captures so much. In a um, uh, uh, Muslim society, men and women are not allowed to show affection to each other. Those two are walking along the beach holding hands. This is the old city, um, a favorite cafe overlooking the sea. Uh, it was a joy... To be there, of course, the sky isn't, is almost always blue. That piece of fabric is worth 400 pounds, <laughs> I was told. <laughs> the little hats they wear, again, sea views. And then we move out to the country. The forts are everywhere. A lot of them have been restored. UNESCO, World Heritage Sites, beautifully done. Um, all sorts of treasures within them. Uh, there's old villages, there's village life, there's old ruins. It is a, a, a country rich in history. It isn't, it, it's new in the sense that it's only been developed in the last 40 years, but there is so much history in Oman. Uh, and still, out in the country, you see people living the way they've always lived. They wear colorful clothes out in the country, not the black abayas that the women wear in the city. And then, uh, uh, yeah, a little girl hanging the washing over a fallen branch. Stunningly beautiful mountains. It, um, 
the, the, the photos will move on. You'll see the desert. Incredible, incredible, the desert. <laughs> you will see the boat building site, the place where they've built the wooden dows for hundreds of years. A man was a, a well-established seafaring nation with um, an empire that stretched right the way down the east coast of Africa. Uh, yeah, the, the camels just appeared for us, <laughs> just out of nowhere. And I thought, what do they live on? I mean, ha they can't just eat sand, and you'll see in a minute what they live on. There's these, where there are dips, there's this sort of grass stuff that <laughs> doesn't look that, like that. That's what they have to live on. They're wilds, they roam about. Um, the, the pictures will go on in a minute to Turtle Beach stunningly beautiful beach that is protected where the uh, large green turtles come in and make their nests and you can only go with a guide you can only go at night uh, by torchlight you have to be silent and we watched large turtles digging away their their nests laying their eggs and then covering them up that's the hole from one of the turtles. That's the track that he makes to go back into the sea. So we went back the next day to see what we could see in daylight, and that's how we got those photos. You can't take photos. They won't allow you to because the light stuns them. The mountains are absolutely incredible. They rise up to 10,000 feet to the top of that plateau. It was really cold up there. Uh, where, that was 4,500 feet. Um, it's just incredibly beautiful, stunningly beautiful. It, as somebody described it, it is an oasis in the Gulf. Uh, the mountains are bare because of the oppressive sun. We left at a very good time. It's just starting to get into the top 30s now. It will rise through the 40s in April, and by May, it's touching 50. And through May, June, July, August, the temperature will often be touching 50, up to 54, even 56, somebody told me. Um, and these final photos are a very upmarket seaside resort that we visited, which, again, is so beautiful. They're trying to diversify the economy away from the oil-based economy, which is still 80% of its revenue, and they're encouraging upmarket tourism. And uh, finally, we move on to the people in the church. This is the Hindi group. They, uh, well, this is the Sri Lankan group. They were all incredibly welcoming. That's a couple of lead one of the Indian house groups, English speaking. Everything revolves around food. Food is a central part of life in this church. Just different people. This was on a, a Friday morning. That's their Sunday as they gather together outside the hall to um, talk, to eat. <laughs> Um, uh, they were just so fantastically friendly and welcoming. They just, uh, we loved being with them and they loved having us there, which was just great. Um, we get lots of questions, are we going back? At this point, we don't know. I think we'd be open to, uh, I know we'd be open to, but uh, we, we don't know. So you can see there are lots of Indians in the congregation. Um, wonderful British couples, 
uh, who have lived in Africa, Pakistan, or different places around the world. It's a real mixture of people. So I just want to, that's the background. I want to tell you a little bit about um, how we found it. So first of all, life overseas is incredibly simple. You have no responsibilities. You don't have a home to maintain, a garden that needs clearing and weeding. You don't have family that you feel you want to visit and do things for. You don't have any demands on your time. You have no TV. You have hardly any internet. You have to go to a cafe where you might get an hour. So you have oodles of free time. And we decided the best way to use that free time was to get to know people in the church. So we had loads of meals with people. Um, and we spent lots of time going to different groups. Um, every group we went to, Dave was asked to preach. They don't do a kind of question and answer thing like we would in our small groups. They like a good, solid teaching slot. So he, whatever group we visited, he had to preach again and again and again. And we were going two or three times a week. <laughs> um, the church is about 150 adults four different congregations. The Filipinos and the English are the two larger congregations. Then there's the small Sri Lankan and Hindi speakers. Uh, the English speaking is mainly Indians who've grown up speaking English or are fluent in English. The church is entirely expats. It is illegal for an Amani to go to a Christian service. It, they have no freedom of choice in their religion. If you are born in a Muslim country, you are a Muslim. And you must follow the rules of the Muslim faith. You have no choice. So they cannot even be seen to talk to Christians. It is very tightly monitored. Um, there were people in the church... Because it's a church of expats, people from all sorts of backgrounds, ex-Hindus, ex-Buddhists, ex-Catholics, there are every kind of profession is um, trade is is um, there. So there's cleaners and maids, nurses and doctors, teachers, embassy staff, construction workers, garment workers, <laughs> businessmen, very successful some of them, salesmen, beauticians, cafe staff, you name it. They're all in this church and people from all over the world, the poor and the wealthy. And everyone is incredibly friendly and welcoming. And I didn't get the feeling that any of them felt left out. In fact, they love it when they all get together once a month and uh, the four congregations and mix in all the different language groups. Um, in each of the groups, there are people becoming Christians, which is wonderful. I prayed with one lady, an English lady, who had been really struggling, and she gave her life to Jesus, and that was just so lovely. Um, there was a young guy who became a Christian last year that Dave spent time with, and so, so even Brits are becoming Christians out there. There are people from every ethnic group. When uh, we went out there, people said to me, what are you going to do? And I had to say, quite honestly, I don't know. Um, I didn't know. But I needn't have worried that I'd be bored. From the start, I had people coming to me, wanting to meet up, wanting to pray. So our house, our little flat, became a kind of open um, prayer room. 
Lots of people came. They, they had issues as diverse as their job demands, their security, their past, their present, their future, <laughs> their marriages, their health. Um, life in a Gulf state can be very insecure. Everyone is frightened of losing their job and consequently losing their visa and having to leave the country. And so a lot of them are very fear-driven. They work impossible hours. They start early and finish late. They'll work six and a half, some of them seven days a week because they are frightened of losing their jobs. So fear and control and insecurity are rife. The leader of the Filipino congregation actually had to leave the country because of visa restrictions. Um, he was thrown in prison two days before his daughter's wedding. They know that some information passed hands. They had to cancel the wedding. Uh, 500 people were invited to this big celebration. He was in prison. And then he had to leave the country. He's living in the Philippines. He is now helping with a new church, which he wants to bring into New Frontiers. And he's a guy in his 60s, his late 60s. So, you know, those of you who are kind of hitting that age, do not think it's over. It's just hotting up. Uh, I was asked to speak at a women's meeting, and I thought, gosh, what on earth are I going to talk about? And I thought I'd do parenting until I found out a bit about the cultures and where these people are coming from. There was no way I could encourage the Filipinos to spend more time with their kids because their kids are back in the Philippines being brought up by the grandparents. They have a totally different understanding of family life. Um, if you're struggling as an Indian mum, you go home to live with your mother for three months, for six months, even a year. So separating families is quite normal. So I abandoned that idea. I thought, right, I'll tell them about my, I'll tell them my story. I'll tell them about my past. It's a bit of a risk, but I thought, well, they don't know me. They don't know where I'm coming from. So I launched into my hippie lifestyle all the things that I'd done, traveling around the world in a camper van, um, the various things that were normal at that time, which was drugs and uh, other things. <laughs> I'm a lot coyer here than I was out there. <laughs> it's because you know me and they didn't. <laughs> I told them that I tried Buddhist meditation, and also I've got a daughter here. <laughs> um, I told them all the different things I'd done, tarot cards and um, I Ching, and we'd done palmistry, and oh gosh, I mean, it was a long list. Um, it, you know, it started when we were at school in those days, and, it, and I got really quite into it. Um, and so I told them all of this, and... Uh, I had women coming to me afterwards saying, can I talk to you? Can I meet with you? Can I pray with you? And what I'd done was I'd given them permission to own their past and not keep it hidden. And we had some incredible, incredibly moving moments where people brought out the pain 
of their life. I have women telling me about abortions that they'd had, multiple abortions in some cases, how they'd been abused, raped, taken in, how their parents were Buddhists, Hindus, praying to various gods, how there were curses involved. There was just so much stuff, so much stuff. And they felt they could tell me, which was a huge privilege. They were saying things that I'd never told anyone this before. And that was just very moving in itself. And then they were saying things like, have you got anything written down? Have you got anything I can pray? So I said, yes, I have, actually. And we'd taken the Freedom in Christ book with us. So those of you who are thinking about Freedom in Christ, this is the best asset you can have, apart from your Bible, because it tells you how to apply biblical truth to real-life situations. Everyone has a story. And I'd say to these women, Everyone, everyone has a past. Everyone has a story. But because of the places they've grown up, in India, in the Philippines, they, they, they feel that they will be judged by the church if they own their past. And I said, we can't judge. We can't judge. We've all been saved. We've all had our lives turn around. And so we prayed together. And it was just so moving to see the release come into their lives, to see joy come back on their faces, to see them laugh, to see them. They were just, it was, it was just wonderful. Uh, so healing, I've decided, is the same the world over. Problems are the same the world over. We all struggle with things, and God wants freedom. We've sang it, singing those beautiful songs today. You know, freedom is what God has given me. When I came out of that stuff that I'd done when I was young and during it, I struggled with depression and I certainly struggled with fear. And one by one, God has brought down the things that were hindering me. And some people say to me now, gosh, you're really brave going to the Middle East. And I think, no, I'm not brave. It's just normal to do what God puts in your heart is not being brave but like we saw on that uh, little uh, new day video we will be a people who are brave <laughs> it doesn't feel like brave to us it just feels like we're following god on the next step on the next adventure but as they say we, we will be brave because god puts something in us it's just such a privilege and i just want to encourage you what you've got in your heart to do don't let go of it. Hold on to it. There will be a time and a place, and you'll be amazed. It will happen. And I just want to thank you all as well, those of you who emailed us and kept in touch and told us things you've been praying. It was so precious. You know, when you're the other side of the world, the last thing you want is to think, well, nobody cares. Actually, you show people really do care, and it was just wonderful. So thank you. Every single email, every, no matter how short, was just such an encouragement to us, and we just had such a good time. So thank you for listening.
Hard to follow that one, Jill. That's brilliant, brilliant. Um, but I am going to just for a few minutes, if that's okay. Um, I'm, I, I, I mean, I was there as well. <laughs> <laughs> And Jill's doing all this stuff. I did see quite a few guys, to be honest. I, I did quite a lot of pastoral work too. Can't get some at all. And um, it's a privilege. I suppose, it, you know, when you go to a new place, everything's new. And you kind of can start fresh. And it's, it's quite refreshing, really. You know, so it's lovely to come home and feel at home. And you kind of... You know, you know, you know the score, if you like. Whereas you go into this, and you don't know the score at all. <laughs> and um, so it's a great learning opportunity. Um, so I did speak a lot, uh, as you might have heard, and uh, that was fine. Oh, it was that was easy, to be honest. It was just easy. It was never difficult, um, except when I had to do all of Ephesians one in thirty minutes on the last Friday. <laughs> That one over-challenged me, I must say. But, uh, <coughs> um, and then my particular brief, of course, was to help develop leadership in this church, raise up a team, at least begin by trying to recognize who, who could be, who could emerge as uh, elders standing alongside the leader. Um, um, the leader, his name's Pin, P-Y-N, which is short for something unpronounceable. Um, <laughs> He's going to be at Catalyst with his family um, at the festival, so you get a chance to meet them. This one coming in May. And um, also, uh, he's coming to the church in July, so he'll be preaching here as well. So you'll get a chance to, uh, to meet with him. He's a great guy. He's a lovely, he's a, you know, just winsome. Wherever he goes, doors open for him. He's just got that kind of personality. So while we were there, he was in Myanmar with Dave Devonish and uh, Martin Dunsford for, for a week. And he came back absolutely buzzing because he's from northeast India. And it's, whilst it's a different tribe to the ones you get in Myanmar, there is quite a lot of close links. And so they took to him, he took to them. He went to the Philippines to visit this guy who got checked out. This church is gathering. Um, wonderful and uh, links into there, and uh, many others as well. So he's, he's a real door opener. So I'm, my, what we're trying to do is bring other leaders through, because there, you know, there are good guys, but there's no leadership structure, really. So that was my briefing. So we meet with Andy Martin, who's apostolically oversees that church on Thursday, and um, we'll probably get a feel for... Where do we go from here? Because we, we just need to see, really. But I just want... There's, a, there's, there's the cultural challenges are quite big, really. At first, it's just exciting. But after a few weeks, and you keep encountering cultural difference. And you think, is this just me with my kind of set of values reacting inappropriately to this? Or is this really something I should feel is inappropriate, you know, and you, you're wrestling with those sorts of things. It's quite exhausting after a while, I found. Just where does East values and West values and biblical values join together? And um, it's not always clear. That's all I can say is. And, uh, but there are some Arabic uh, values. We're in an Arab culture. And, um, and I, came, I kept hearing this thing, this, this Arab word, wasta. 
And you'd say, well, what about that guy? Oh, he's got Worcester. And you think, well, what on earth is Worcester? And um, what I found out Worcester is, is it's, it's favoritism. Why did he get that job when he's no good at it? Oh, he's got Worcester. He knows the right people and that gets you the job. And Worcester is everywhere in Arab cultures. So if you, um, you know, you can wait months for your internet to get connected, even though you've got a phone line. But if you've got Worcester, they'll get it done the next day. You know the right people, it gets things done. You need a visa, oh, you've got, well, you got, you got a fine, we'll clear that. It, Worcester works. It's like, it's much more than an old boys network. It's, it's family connections. And it works particularly in the workplace. You want a job and you're well qualified, and then this other noddy comes along who hasn't got any qualifications but gets the job. And it's very frustrating or gets the promotion because he's got Worcester. And um, so I heard this expression quite a lot. He's got Worcester. And I thought, I, I got Worcester. I got Worcester. <laughs> because uh, I got... I've, I've got favoritism from another one. I've got favor. Um, and uh, I began to think about it. I thought, they got Worcester, but I've got divine Worcester. <laughs> I've got God's Worcester. Because Worcester is favor. That's what it is. It's, it's undeserved favor. We were in an Indian, well, predominantly Indian, Muslim English, um, mainly Indian. I mean, the Indians love knowledge, I tell you. You know, they would beat us on a Bible. If we had a Bible quiz today and I brought that group of Indians in here, I tell you, they'd, they'd massacre us. <laughs> I think they would, really. I'm genuine. They know their Bibles up, back to front. So we're sat in here, this group, um, well, we hadn't been, we, I think we've been to it once before earlier and we, we, we decided to go back. And, and this guy that I was coaching a bit and spending some time with, he was doing the Bible study and he was really nervous because I'm sat there, you see, because, you know, that's how it works, isn't it? Particularly in that kind of Indian culture, top down and hierarchy and all this. But he did brilliantly and he'd really studied. And, um, and he starts in Romans 6, verse 14. This is where they're up to. And you won't know that off the top of your head, probably. But sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law, you're under grace. And then he starts to unpack all this and ask the group questions. What do you think that means? And no, no, no. So he says, what's, what's grace? And of course they know, oh, God's riches at Christ's expense, undeserved favor. And it comes out like, you know, push the button. <laughs> and they know it all. It just needs to go a bit deeper. You know, you can know it. Uh, but the freedom that Jill's talking about, these Indian ladies, and in, case, in my case, guys that I was meeting with, just the freedom has to be a truth applied. And, uh, and it doesn't just happen. But their Bible knowledge was great. So there they were. You know, classic definition of divine waster is undeserved favor. And they got that. And when we went on with quite a, So what does it mean? If you're under law, you're no longer under law, but under grace, why should then that mean sin has no dominion over you? Oh, you see, you could have that one in your small group if you want a bit of serious theology. And it goes on about, you know, how you can be holy and what does it mean. So we had this discussion, and I thought he did really well. And he said, he said, do you think grace is a power? Do you think it is a force 
that gives you the ability to live a new way? That was his question to this group. And they're thinking, mm-hmm. and, and they get a little bit muddled because, of course, we always think of grace as, oh, I was saved by faith and by grace. By grace you were saved. And that not of, your, you know, not, not of yourself, but by the grace of God. And we know that, won't we? We know you got, you're, you're, in, you're in here today, if you know Jesus, because he, he acted and he, he, he won your, your heart. He revealed himself to you. He showed himself. And by his grace, he saved you. But then what about after you're saved? Where, where does grace work? And grace works, I said to Martin when he did, I said, that's a really, really key thing you're bringing out here. Because grace is a force. It is a power. It is an enabling to live a new life by the grace of God. And he took us into all these Bible verses that showed, Paul could say, well, it's by grace that I do this, and it's by grace I do that, and by grace I do the other. He says to Timothy, strengthen your heart with grace. Grace works in us. It's not just a theological condition that got us into the kingdom. It is the activity of God at work in us so that sin shan't have dominion over us. I'm under grace. And there's a force and a power and a release. So, anyway, enough of that. That's a bit of doctrine, isn't it? But it just made me think, you know, we can look at the world and you can, you can see unfairness And you can see favoritism and things that could cause you frustration, envy or anger. And then you look at Jesus and you think, well, I've got Worcester. I've got undeserved favour. And I began to think about it and I found this verse. I'll just stick on this one verse if we can have it from Psalm 5. And... um, David is pouring out his heart to God because he's facing such big enemies. And, uh, and American favor. If you spell favor with a U, it, <laughs> the uh, concordance says it doesn't exist. So you have to spell it American style, which always annoys me. <laughs> it just shows you what a dinosaur I am. But... Um, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. You cover him with wasta. There's a divine wasta that covers us with like a shield. You know, those you've seen those uh, films where they're fighting the shield doesn't just it's not just on here. It's one of those that completely covers them. And they reckon it's that kind of shield and you can look it up and but This is the truth. You bless us. And we're righteous in you. And you cover us. And it's like a shield. I've got Worcester over my life that even when sin seems to have dominion, I'm still under the Worcester of God. And I can still find him the other side of that. And uh, there's always a way through. There's always a way through. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. So we got Worcester. We haven't just got favor for, for salvation. We haven't just got this life force for life. We have got this amazing open door of mission into the world. And uh, to be honest, you know, I felt God just showed me this, finished with this. Um, 
as we were worshipping. I just thought, doesn't actually depend on you, Dave. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, doesn't. You just do what you do, and I'll do what I do, and um, we'll just see where it goes. And I just felt a release in that, actually. I felt a certain sense of responsibility where to from here. Plus, you know, and it's inappropriate, unhelpful. And uh, so, can I just pray? And then we'll... Uh, well, Father, I thank you for Wasta from your hand. You cover us with Wasta <laughs> like a shield, Lord. You bless us because we're your righteous ones in Christ. And Father, we thank you for Jesus, Lord, who's made it all possible, who died that we might know Wasta from God, favor from God. And it just says in Psalm 30, and your favor, how long does it last? A lifetime. And Lord, it's not just here today and gone tomorrow, but your favor lasts a lifetime and we are thankful. We sang that wonderful song about hope and about grace, about giving our ways to you, Lord. And we just want to do that. And Lord, I pray... (laughs) For all of us, Lord, we will see and know the roster of God. Amen.